1: Bring in show music,
0: please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, Netflix disappoints pretty much everyone, its own executives, investors,
2: and our own team.
3: This is popular. No, 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 no. the question
2: is, why don't you cease the service?
3: I might. They haven't had any content. The Danish crime dramas aren't doing it for me.
0: Suns Out, Masks Off the implications of new guidance, or lack thereof, in America's COVID pandemic, with Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
4: The risks are longer term, and what this does to potentially erode CDC's authority.
0: And Florida's governor is taking on Disney, the clash of corporations and politics with investor Anthony Scaramucci.
4: Revenge is
1: probably not the best political idea. I think this is a huge mistake for him.
0: Those stories plus Elon Musk tweeting again. But then again, it is his favorite day.
5: He just likes triggering, I, I don't know, teasing people about 420 still. What happens if the SEC decides to play a joke on him on 420?
0: It is Wednesday, April 20th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now.
5: Stand, under by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box, right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew, also working along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee. Look at you, thank you for Good joining morning. us this morning. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, Becky's off today. Is Treasury Hill's our favorite topic? But sort of I is. I think streaming might be today. Streaming might be today, but let's uh, let's talk a little stream. Yeah,
2: uh, this let's is gonna be the, this. S- the story of the day here. Netflix stock tanking after the company reported its first loss of subscribers in more than a decade. To be exact, subs were down by 200,000 in the first quarter versus an expected gain of 2.7 million, even with 700,000 subscribers lost thanks to a wind down in Russia. The report clearly uh, still a shock to investors. Netflix now forecasting a loss of 2 million subscribers for the second quarter. After earnings posted, Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings revealed the company is now open to offering lower-priced tiers of service with advertisements, but Hastings said that likely wouldn't be an option for a year or two. The company blaming inflation, competition, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and password sharing for its stall in subscribers, estimating 100 million households are essentially getting its service for free due to shared logins. It suggested a global crackdown could be coming. Here's Hastings on the company's earnings call
3: working on uh, how to monetize sharing um, you know we've been uh, thinking about that for a couple years um, but you know when we were growing fast it wasn't the high priority to uh, work on and now we're working super hard on it and you know remember these are over 100 million households that already are choosing to view netflix they love the service uh, we just got to get paid you know in some degree for them
2: then uh, nightmare numbers from netflix sent other streaming stocks Falling, you see across the board here, Disney's down 5%, Warner down 4 Roku down 6%. But the loss on Netflix, that amounts to about a $40 billion loss in market capitalization in just a few hours' time uh, after the report posted last night. So this is a huge pivot. And the question here is, how is it priced? Has it priced after the fall? Are the best growth days behind Netflix? And can it actually do all these things that Hastings outlined on that call in order to restart growth in some fashion? So, so
3: many, I had so many thoughts. 700 was a high in the stock. I don't know what the market yeah. cap was there, but it's down in the, the hundreds and change at this point. and it looked like like the greatest gross uh, half a you know half a, a trillion dollars at one point that I wish Comcast had bought when we had the chance but 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 we never did. Then a lot of the things that Reed Hastings said, I, I'm, I'm not gonna say he had salt with his crow, but, but he's made a very definitive statements in the past about things that Netflix will never do or won't do or it doesn't make sense for Netflix. And, and there's the old saying, well, what do you do when the facts change? You, you change the facts. And I'll, I'll, give, him, I'll give him that, but it, it is a little bit humbling to suddenly say, you know, I would never do advertising, but now we wanna offer clients or customers as many different options as possible. So that's how it switches to, to that possibility. Sharing's not a big deal until you're not growing. And then, then the password sharing is a big deal. 700,000 in Russia. What do they watch in Russia? Do they send off a couple of missiles then turn on Bridgerton? I mean, is that how, how does that even work over there? They have, they have time to watch Netflix while they're conducting a. I guess it's not the Russian people that, that are necessarily doing that. And then finally, finally, Andrew, for you, I watch Netflix for maybe a half hour. The entire half hour, I'm going along. The, I'm going along the little things. Okay, this is trending. No, 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 no. Okay, this is popular. No, but no, the question no, is, no. Why
2: don't you Why don't you cease the service?
3: I might, I might, but you still and just stick it. with Peacock, where I find all the great stuff. No, but they haven't had any content, and why they well, really so haven't. So the, the part Danish of the crime dramas aren't doing it for me. I told you, tinder, I tried
5: the Tinder Swindler. Oh, the Tinder oh, tw- I'm going to try one. that. That's I'm going to try
3: that. But that's once fine. again, it's it's too real. It, I want I want to be transported. It's
5: I want to go. I want to go back to Yellowstone. I want to go back to. I want to see Rip again. And I've got done all but five. But the question seasons. is that I, that I wonder is just. And that was Peacock. Has he did? Is this effectively an admission not that it was a mistake on the advertising front, but that actually it was a mistake to price where they have raised prices right if they had stuck arrogantly if they had stuck at the at the you know was two or three bucks less would
2: would they see would would they they have seen churn
5: would they've seen churn would they've needed to have this conversation at all Mm -hmm. and he does believe genuinely in his heart that the experience the sort of subscriber experience is going to be better without without advertising and and on that score Mm He may not be wrong. Although a
3: minute is not bad, I watch the thing tick down. I don't even notice a minute. I'm allowed to th- to gather my thoughts.
5: Three minutes, four minutes. But maybe this is just the law of large numbers. Once you get to this kind of size of and scale, the this right. is what happens. I well, think it's it's a the reopening question. too.
3: They they got their their pay play, pay it forward with 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 the pandemic, and everyone you know was watching. But oh, let me ask you this: Didn't they think it was inelastic when they raised prices? Oh yeah, it's inelastic. You're gonna you're gonna need. But if you don't have the content that makes it inelastic and I've been complaining about that in
5: say as a but now it's getting competitive but I was going to say as a parent parent mm-hmm. with but with small children for a long time one of the reasons it was inelastic was and now I'm going to say something terrible it, it Netflix can act as like a babysitter of sorts for children well, why not Disney? for half an hour Disney 45 plus. minutes
2: classify you know, kids for and
5: sure. what I'm saying yes no now now there's competition for a very long time you want to have Netflix in your house. For the shows that the adults were going to watch at night and definitively for the stuff the kids were going to watch in the morning now if the stuff at night is doing what you're right. talking about you're flipping around and can't find it and the kids have disney and five other pl- things to do right so does this open it up for other
3: streaming uh, services or does it say that the entire uh, space was
5: was over i think it says that this on. the model of of subscriber of no well, subscribers no but i was going to say more in terms of the amount of content that Amazon, not Amazon, that Netflix has been mm. buying, that everybody th- has been buying, it's part, part of it's a volume problem, right? They're just spending so much money on content to make stuff that unfortunately not a lot of people are, are watching. Right. right,
2: and Sarandos actually acknowledged that on the call yesterday. He said, we need a Bridgerton, or the equivalent of a Bridgerton every quarter in order to they need help a Bridgerton like, like
1: every week. In the quarter, um, while we were not happy with the top-line subscriber growth, we definitely saw that the new season of Ozark, Inventing Anna, the Atom Project, and certainly the biggest of them all, the, the new season of Bridgerton, delivered exactly as expected, actually quite actually a little bit bigger than expected with, our, with fans. Now, of course, we think we've got to do that, and we have to have an Atom Project and a Bridgerton every month, and to make sure that that's the expectation of the service constantly.
2: Think of that about the spend that would in, the entail, yes. right? Can come up to, in with something other than Bri-
3: Bridgerton for the example, because that's not. I'm sorry. He that, used
2: Bridgerton as the example. I know, I'm but I know, I know. I know. Okay. Air. All
5: right. Uh, I know you're not. He needs I a Tiger King.
2: He needs whatever it is right. that's going to lure people or, uh, in and get them to the stick. The other question right. here House is House of Cards. Um, you know, they mentioned Last
3: Tango in Halifax. I'll watch a lot of stuff. Believe me. Certainly, uh, your your bars. No, that's no. less that is great. Versailles. That's great. There's been some, some great... Uh, they need a crown.
5: How about that? The crown.
2: crown yes. Right? Uh, the equivalent of a house of cards. Something the that will get cards. people engaged, get people subscribing, and stay there. The other question is monetization. Uh, you know, can can they actually convert those people getting it for free into paying right. subscribers? So, that's w- a big question Is mark. that
3: when they offer an ad-supported service?
5: That's really, that's crossing the Rubicon. Will they? if they
2: oh, do. Oh, they will. The problem is to. it's not going
3: to
5: happen for another year or two because you have two issues. You're going to have technology issue They have to actually build the system. Mm-hmm. They also they're not an ad sales organization. Right. That's a whole other project unto itself. <laughs> so what's CNN Plus <laughs> thinking at this point if the best streaming service
3: loses Two hundred thousand. That's just. A, that was a tough time to launch, was it not? They should have. Revenues. is don't, They should the have talked his ass Shouldn't they have talked to ass before they did that? Right before the, the close, don't you think they should have said, "David, do you like us doing this?" They couldn't. I don't think.
5: I don't know what they were doing. I, I have a. <laughs> You're very nice. A, a, no, I, my view was that they were they were doing it. I don't want to say to jam them, but effectively yeah. to to push it in before. so that it had to it had to start. to force force the issue. How about that? That's okay.
3: It's Elon Musk's favorite day of the year, 420. And the world's richest man uh, is offering up another brain teaser ahead of it. Late yesterday, Musk tweeting, blank is the night. Uh, The word tender would make sense to put there, as in tender is the night. Uh, Maybe an innocent reference to the F. Scott a uh, Fitzgerald novel or maybe another hint of Musk's aspirations to take control of Twitter, love me tender, tender is the night, tender this, tender Tonight that.
2: Tonight is the night? Hmm? Tonight is the night?
5: I thought today's the day. Tonight's the night? I mean, 420.
3: Tonight
2: like, could be the night. I mean, it's Tesla's earnings night.
3: Could mean that. Could mean 420. What the, he just likes triggering, I, I, I don't know, teasing people about 420 still, right? Obviously, 5420, 420 this, for Why did why, why is that our two-year anniversary to come back to the
5: NASDAQ? 420, I, I don't know. It's been, it's been a long <laughs> time for What me. happens if the I SEC decides to, do to with, play huh? a joke on him on 420? What's that? If you were the SEC, wouldn't you be like, 420, this is, this is our day.
0: Coming up, the mask mandate's abrupt and confusing end this week signals a shift in the COVID-19 pandemic. Former head of the FDA, Scott Gottlieb, joins us.
4: The broader implications here aren't the immediate impact on public health. It was clearly time to lift the mask mandate. The risk is to the future and what this could mean to CDC authority.
0: Squawk Pod will be right back.
6: Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
0: Welcome back to SquawkPod. I'm Cameron Costa, your MC for the day. So, if you haven't heard by now, we're going maskless. Well, some of us are, and not everywhere. After a federal judge in Florida overturned the CDC's mask mandates on planes and public transportation, travelers went wild.
1: You had people literally in flight saying, woohoo, take it off, including the crews, and they did.
0: That was our in-house airlines and autos whisperer, Phil LeBeau. So some people were rejoicing, sure, but not everyone is thrilled. And not everyone is in the clear. In New York, for example, Uber and Lyft are still asking passengers to mask up. The pros, cons, societal courtesies of wearing a mask are covered extensively in yesterday's podcast, if you care to take a deeper dive. What we're focusing on here today, though, is what's safe. We went from arguably too much guidance, from the WHO, the CDC, the White House, our own doctors, various federal agencies, to you're on your own. While on a trip to New Hampshire, reporters asked President Biden what he thought. Mr.
2: President, should people continue to wear masks on planes?
0: That's
1: up to them. Would you like to appeal the ruling uh, or the ruling that the judge made striking down the mandate?
6: I haven't spoken to the CDC yet.
0: Well, that's why we've dialed up our trusty doc, Scott Gottlieb. He's guided us, and you, if you've been with us for any amount of time, through this COVID journey. Joe Kernan kicks things off. The CDC
3: is the expert agency, uh, Scott, on this, And but we pointed out in the past that kind of a, I don't know, uh, people have different feelings about the SEC after the last couple of years, or the, the CDC after the last couple of years, maybe, but, Watching the airlines one after another rush to, to basically remove the mask mandate, watching Uber and Lyft rush, was that reckless to do that based on a, a judge's ruling going against the CDC, Scott? Well, look, I think the CDC should have lifted
4: this ordinance when it was up on April 18th. I predict the government isn't going to appeal here. The DOJ statement seemed half-hearted, and there seems to be a split where the HHS wants an appeal and DOJ seems to be lukewarm and they probably don't want to risk a loss in the eleventh circuit and they probably know CDC has a poor administrative record here and that's part of the problem. That's part of the basis of the judge's ruling. You know, we should start out by just acknowledging that there are people who will be made to feel vulnerable by this policy and some people who are made vulnerable, especially children under five who have health conditions and can't be vaccinated. The masks were probably providing a lot less protection than people assumed because most wore cloth masks, but they provided some protection and now they they won't be used. Um, I'll just say for people who feel at risk, I would submit that one-way masking still does work. If you feel vulnerable and you wear a high-quality mask like a K95 mask and you wear it well, it will afford you some protection. But the broader implications here aren't the immediate impact on public health. Um, It was clearly time to lift the mask mandate, and they should have done it when it expired April 18th. I think the risk is to the future and what this could mean to CDC authority, um, although that can be solved for, not by appealing it. But by CDC taking action, um, they should go through a careful rulemaking process. It could be solved for by CDC being a more competent agency. This outcome was at least in part, maybe in large part, a failure of CDC's ability to make policy through rigorous, transparent, science-driven rulemaking. They didn't have a good administrative record in place. And that was at least a part of the judge's ruling in this case. She cited the fact that they didn't have a good administrative record.
3: Just in terms of how you view the the ventilation and everything else, is a an airplane with all the things that they've done the cabin of an of an aircraft versus let's say I don't know we have IPOs here at the NAS. There's lots of people that are out in the lobby and they're right next to each other. They're packed in there, and there was no mask mandate. For that, is is an airplane, because it's recirculated air, is it better, is it more dangerous or less dangerous in terms of contracting germs than just a normal indoor setting where it's really crowded?
4: Yeah, look, this is the way I think about it. Your risk of contracting COVID if you don't have good baseline immunity, either through vaccination or prior infection, is proportional to The risk of the setting that you're in and if you're in a confined space with poor air circulation with a lot of people that's going to be higher risk than being in a confined space with poor air circulation with a few number of people versus an environment where there's good air circulation an airplane when it's in the air has very good air circulation the filtration systems on those airlines are very good The the riskiest part of the travel is probably when you're getting on and off the plane, when people are bunched together, the air filtration system's turned off, or you're standing in in a confined space in the airport.
3: Scott, let's say you have a tight-fitting N95, K95, whatever it is. You have one of those on. What's your level of protection, and would it be significantly enhanced if you and every other person around you is it better if you have it on tightly fitting and then every other person has it on tightly fitting is is it worth mandating that for everyone or should you feel pretty good if if you decide to wear an n95
4: Look, if everyone around you is wearing a high quality mask well that's going to improve the overall um safety of the environment but if you have a good fitting mask a high quality mask on you're wearing it well you're going to afford yourself a high degree of protection so people who feel vulnerable if they continue to do that, are going to be able to protect themselves in that setting, even if other people aren't wearing masks. One way masking does work. The exception is young children who can't wear high-quality masks, can't wear them well, so they're still going to be vulnerable in those settings. I mean, you know, I think one way to think about this is if you want to provide yourself some protection on the journey, wear the mask when you're getting on and off the plane, a high-quality mask, because for brief periods of time you can wear it well. Take it off mid-flight. When the air filtration system is on, when there's good air
5: circulation, that's a lower risk point of the travel. Hey Scott, you know, we keep talking about airplanes where funnily enough, the, the air circulation is at least, it seems bar- better as, as you were saying, in, it, when the planes are in the sky, not always clear when they're on the ground, but let's talk about trains, subways, public buses. Um, I don't know what you think about Ubers and the like. How are you? How are you planning to um, navigate that yourself personally?
4: Yeah, there's no question that trains have poor air circulation systems, and I've had this discussion with transportation officials. You know, again, on an Uber in a car, I feel less at risk. It's one person in the car. Prevalence is low now. You know, maybe maybe 20 cases per 100,000 people per day because we're not measuring a lot of the cases that are occurring. So the the likelihood that that one Uber driver is going to be infected and contagious while you're in the car with them is probably pretty low right now. On a train, it's a higher risk setting because it's a confined space with a lot of people with poor air circulation. I'm still going to wear a mask in certain occasions where I feel I'm in a confined space and there's a lot of people around, where I'm in environments where prevalence is higher. But I think the the airplanes are one exception. When you're in flight, air circulation is is pretty good the risks here from this ruling aren't the immediate impact on public health it was time to lift the mask mandates the risks are longer term and what this does to potentially erode cdc's authority and what they should do right now is go through a rulemaking process to define this authority more clearly and rely on other parts of their statute it's their failure to go through a careful rulemaking process that set them up for these vulnerabilities and to give you sort of one basis of comparison in the last 25 years cdc has issued 21 regulations Over that same time period, FDA has issued 3,300 regulations. Now, FDA is a regulatory authority, so it issues more regulations, but we always went through the development of a careful administrative record when we asserted authorities so that we could withstand court challenge. CDC institutionally does not do that. There's a certain institutional lordliness in that agency that they issue these orders without a careful administrative record, and the judge at least in part cited that in this ruling.
3: Scott I got uh, just one more question so COVID you know to say it's over and behind us maybe we may never be able to say that I mean that that may never be accurate okay so in a year one year five year ten years do you see a significant number of people that that have a mask in tow with them to use at, at different times and there are other countries where you see mask use is much more pre- prevalent uh, than it is here. Have we been fundamentally changed here, where 5%, 10%, 20% of people in the United States are going to have a mask in tow if they hear someone cough next to them on a plane or if they, I don't know, if they see someone that, that that looks like they're, I don't know, sweating and feverish or something. Should you have a mask in tow at that point? Will we always, would you go long mask makers forever or would you... Like J&J is gonna, isn't even making, gonna make the vaccines as much. Are we gonna need masks from here on out? I think flipping a mask on and off at certain points in the
4: year is gonna be more culturally acceptable, certainly than it, than it has been in the past. And you saw that in the Asian societies after SARS-1, where mask use during winter pathogen seasons became more common. Yeah, that was but after it,
5: SARS, huh? But last piece, Scott, because we were talking about it yesterday. Whose responsibility, and culturally, do you think this is going to change? Is it going to be on, which is to say, when people are sick, I'm hoping the lesson is that if you're sick and you actually are forced to travel or do something in the public, that you actually you're going to be the one who's going to be the wearing the mask. Not that it's going to force everybody else to wear a mask. Do you think that we've gotten to that place or not? Really, um, we were talking about that yesterday on the program. I actually, by the way, did a little Twitter poll. Interestingly, and I said if you if I said if you. No, we're knowingly sick and we're traveling uh, would you wear a mask even if you had covid twenty percent now that the mask mandate's gone said they have no problem they just get on an airplane with covid no mask so i'm not sure culturally we have figured this out yet yeah the
4: recommendations always have been around flu that if you have to go out if you have flu and you have to go out you should wear a mask because it reduces the risk of transmission So I think a lot of these recommendations are going to be reinforced, and hopefully now that it's not mandated, hopefully it won't have to be re-implemented as a mandate that we're going to be at a point where COVID's not going to be spreading with the same velocity and the same intensity that's spread in the past. And we don't know, but it does appear to be evolving in ways that it's becoming less virulent and we're building up more immunity. but. Hopefully, once it's no longer mandated, this becomes more acceptable for people to do these things on a voluntary basis. I think part of the resistance that people had was because they felt forced to do it. When they're no longer forced to do it, maybe they'll be more willing to voluntarily do it.
5: Scott, always good to see you. Thank you for your perspective on all of it. You bet. Cheese
0: will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Disney versus DeSantis. The Florida governor wants to eliminate a decades-old tax break for the House of Mouse. Investor Anthony Scaramucci on the fight between the governor and the corporation and what it'll mean for those who live and work around the Magic Kingdom.
1: Think of the tax savings that Disney has given the Florida residents by not having them pay for all the services surrounding Disney.
6: Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland,
7: somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at OCOcean.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is taking aim at a company hugely important to his state, Disney. He's introducing a bill to end all independent special districts in the Sunshine State, which would revoke Disney's near total control over the 40 square miles it calls home.
4: All right, there she goes.
0: At a news conference yesterday while signing education legislation, DeSantis didn't mention Disney by name, but he did say lawmakers are working on something new.
4: But they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, and that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District.
0: Disney's special district, called Reedy Creek, functions like a private government. And it has since it was created in 1967. Of course, this all comes after Disney announced it would suspend political donations in Florida in opposition to the so-called Don't Say Gay bill, which bans school instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity before fourth grade. Now, Disney did not lobby publicly against the bill when it was being considered, and instead emerged as a critic after it passed. I'll turn it back over now to Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, joined today by Melissa Lee.
3: Then we got this Disney stuff. It's unbelievable. If they pull that, would it affect Universal, if they, the, the theme park, if they pull that from the entire Orlando region, if they pull the tax benefits from there? or the... No, not this. This law is specific to where Walt Disney World is. I'm trying to figure out how I come down on this whole thing. Oh. <laughs> and obviously, we work for—I'm only kidding. We work for Comcast and NBC. Universal's part of what Comcast owns, but we would never make any opinions
5: based on anything self.
3: Our
2: allegiances. Yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> I kid about that, but, but it's yeah. now become completely politicized. I know. What do you think of that, by the way? I—I
3: I, you got a, a libertarian governor that's you know sticking his hands into corporate affairs. I don't know whether that really then you can't you can't on the other hand at times say no corporations are. Are, you know, we need a hands-off approach. So I kind of understand that in this, in this case. Corporations probably, if they wanna tread into things like this, they, they are free to do so, because they're, they're free to do things that they wanna do, right?
2: Disney gives a lot of money to candidates in Florida. They do. So this they might d- just be a to. gesture on the part of It'd DeSantis to, yeah. as opposed to an actual thing that could happen.
5: Oh no! I think it could happen. You think it could? You happen? don't think
2: it could happen? I don't know. I they don't got know. the
5: legislator sure to do it. Yeah. The problem is, for Disney, they're trapped there, I mean, they really are trapped there. It's sort of a very unique situation. You
2: can't just pick up Epcot and move it.
5: You can't move it. Yeah. You're stuck. But there's you a can't lot say, of. You can't start threatening to say, well, actually, we're gonna, are gonna do this up in you know Montreal now. But the Disney stakeholder, that
3: truly is a wide range of who is a Disney st- uh, stakeholder. Employees. Mm-hmm. People from all over the world that go down there. I mean, it's, it's an important thing for Florida, also. Right? And it's impo- if there's a hundred thousand employees or whatever right. it is,
5: and you,
2: their one voters of them is also. really
5: mad at, at the way their employee right. is but, but being but the truth, treated. The truth is, the people who are mad are people who are effectively, trying to politi- trying to politicize it. Well, I mean, once again,
3: we probably have people that are mad on both. Depending on where you come down on the whole issue, you would say that about the other side,
5: probably. Right, but it hasn't. It hasn't It's not. It hasn't been a customer issue so far. How about that? Right. Parks. Right. The parks are full. Um,
3: and Disney already has a. They launched an ad-supported streaming. They did. Thing uh-huh. already. Yep. They were ahead of that, so they didn't have any sort of.
2: And so did Comcast. And, and, a, much, and a much lower well, price Comcast, point. Peacock is, yeah.
3: and a, as Peacock I have said, is I, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. It's, it's like, and it's got a little thing. It goes, and I can see how much time i got to put in before it comes back. And it's never very long. It's not like Squawk Box where there's like eight minutes of, uh, no, that's not
2: true. Of what?
3: Commercials. No. How many do, how long are, <laughs> how
5: long are. Joining us right now to break down this movement much more in Disney himself this morning. Anthony Scaramucci, Skybridge Capital founder, and co-managing partner, and of course the CBC contributor. Anthony, coming to us from Mickey Mouse's house. It's nice to see you, sir. You got a nice view out there. Um, What do you think of this? And and what do you think of sort of this idea that DeSantis throwing his political weight around in some ways as retribution for the position that Disney has taken um, against him effectively?
1: Well, it's it's a mistake on a number of different levels, but let's just talk about Republican principles or supposed Republican principles, Andrew. Uh, They're about free markets and allowing private control of things and sort of deleveraging the government. They get the tax savings that Disney has given the Florida residents by not having them pay for all the services surrounding Disney. So number one, there's a bit of hypocrisy there. Number two, Revenge is probably not the best political idea. I think we've learned for 5,000 years of political discourse, it is way better to figure out ways to get along with each other and offer a rapprochement. So I think this is a huge mistake for him. Moreover, he has Republican enclaves in the state that have that same status. I don't think he wants to revoke those. And I also think this would be challenged by the courts because this is a lot lot like retroactive taxes. Uh, They were given this... uh, ability to do this back in the 60s so that they would come to Florida, uh, I don't think they can necessarily go back on it without a court challenge. So I think it's going to be a very hard slog for Governor DeSantis on this issue.
5: the any any argument just straight up on the merits though, which is to say, you know, maybe there shouldn't be special, special benefits for specific companies? So
1: uh, actually, no, I don't think there's any real argument straight up on the merits, because this was put in place back in the 1960s. And this was an enticement to bring Disney to the state of Florida. Of course, they could have gone to other states. Uh, It would just be like us going back to your taxes, Andrew, say your 1995 taxes and saying, geez, we want to change the tax code in 1995 and we'd like you to pay more, even though we already promised you a certain tax code in 1995. I, I don't even think it's enforceable in the court. So, no, I don't I don't think anything on the merits here. Uh, but it speaks also to the bullying nature of Governor DeSantis. I think he has to be very careful with that. He wants to run for president. Uh, Americans do not like bullies. Uh, the last bully, of course, only had one term. So to me, I don't I don't think it's a great political strategy. So you don't, I don't think, think, it's think it's a great—that's what I was going
5: to say. Is it, is it yeah. the right political strategy? And I was going to layer on top of the, the Dizzy situation his comments yesterday in regard to the sale of, of Twitter, potentially to Elon Musk, effectively— backing Elon Musk saying that he wants that deal to go forward and that he believes the the pension fund in Florida should hold the board of Twitter accountable if they don't sell it to Elon Musk I can just tell you the state of Florida and our pension
4: system we have shares of Twitter uh, I didn't buy it we have people that run the fund but nevertheless it hasn't exactly been great and returns on investment it's been pretty stagnant we're going to be looking at ways that the state of Florida potentially can be holding these Twitter board of directors accountable for breaching their fiduciary duty.
5: How do you think all of that's going to go over politically in the state of Florida, if not nationally, if you think that's where his ambitions really are? Well,
1: listen, I, I understand the strategy. He wants to attack hard right. He wants to go after the primary voters in, on the right. And then maybe he'll tag to the center if he wins the nomination, which, of course, he won't win the nomination. But but I, I, I get the strategy. But again, it's very hypocritical, Andrew, because he's supposedly a free market person. If you don't like what Twitter is doing, you can sell those shares and you can buy something else in the marketplace. I think the notion that a governor, supposedly the governor for all the citizens and all the residents of Florida, is now going to get involved in shareholder activism. I think it's a bad use of his time, but it's also very hypocritical uh, as it relates to free market activity. So uh, this is the sort of stuff that's going on in our politics right now. I would prefer somebody more principled. You probably saw Governor Romney's uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal today discussing inflation. That feels like a presidential run to me in terms of the way he's writing this morning.
5: But do you think the country is there? Do you think the country is there for Mitt Romney today relative to the sort of bombast of of a DeSantis on, on, you know, within the Republican Party or potentially uh, former President Trump?
1: I am so there, Andrew. I can't speak for the entire country, but I am so there. And let me tell you something, okay? They may get there because this sort of stuff that's going on right now is absolutely nonsensical. We need more of a a right or wrong approach as opposed to a left or right approach. I think common sense is ultimately what Americans want. Uh, and so we'll have to see. You're, you know, maybe people are not there. Maybe they want more of this brimstone and fire and all this stupidity and rhetoric. But, you know, I'm hoping not. Well, we'll have to see. Hopefully 2024 will be a, a year of common sense.
5: OK, uh, we're going to leave it there, Anthony. We appreciate uh, you joining us from Beautiful the day house. here in Disney World. I know. I know it. I hope you uh, enjoy it. The lines, I hope, aren't too long. Go check out uh, Hollywood Studios and the new, the new Star Wars uh, attraction if you can. It's pretty cool.
1: All right, looking forward
2: to it. Thanks,
3: man. Thanks.
5: See ya. Time flies when you're having fun. Oh, yeah. Every day this week.
3: Every it's day. It's been flying. It's been flying. flying. Let's hope it's, uh, it, it exudes into the screen to, to people at home. <laughs> And, and they, that they was have, convincing. They have fun, they have fun huh? too. Ah. The, f- the Futures are up. Off. Are you here again tomorrow? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, joy. Uh, the uh, SP, <laughs>
2: I don't have to Stay come. They it loud and proud. I don't oh have joy.
3: To come tomorrow. Oh, joy. Oh, it, come, come on. Take a look the tenure. 2 eight sincerity.
5: Two, oh, joy.
0: That does it for the pod today. Time does fly. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
4: We
5: are clear. Thanks, guys.